0: CHAPTER TWO OF FRANCE AND ENGLAND IN NORTH AMERICA PART THREE LA SALLE DISCOVERY OF THE GREAT WEST This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. Interfaceaudio.com LA SALLE DISCOVERY OF THE GREAT WEST by Francis Parkman Junior Chapter two sixteen sixty nine to sixteen seventy one La Salle and the Sulpicians The French in Western New York Louis Juliet The Sulpicians on Lake Erie, at Detroit, at Sault Saint Marie The Mystery of La Salle He discovers the Ohio, he descends the Illinois. Did he reach the Mississippi? la chenay was the starting point and the combined parties in all twenty-four men with seven canoes embarked on the lake of st louis with them were two other canoes bearing the party of senecas who had wintered at la salle's settlement and who were now to act as guides father gallinay recounts the journey he was no woodsman the river the forests the rapids were all new to him and he dilates on them with the minuteness of a novice above all he admired the indian birch canoes if god he says grants me the grace of returning to france i shall try to carry one with me then he describes the bivouac your lodging is as extraordinary as your vessels for after paddling or carrying the canoes all day you find mother earth ready to receive your wearied body if the weather is fair You make a fire and lie down to sleep without further trouble But if it rains you must peel bark from the trees and make a shed by laying it on a frame of sticks as For your food it is enough to make you burn all the cookery books that were ever written for in the woods of Canada one finds means to live well without bread wine salt pepper or spice The ordinary food is Indian corn or turkey wheat as they call it in France Which is crushed between two stones and boiled seasoning it with meat or fish when you can get them This sort of life seemed so strange to us that we all felt the effects of it And before we were a hundred leagues from Montreal not one of us was free from some malady or other At last after all our misery on the second of August we discovered Lake Ontario like a great sea, with no land beyond it. Thirty-five days after leaving Lauschenay, they reached irandequa Bay, on the south side of the lake. Here they were met by a number of Seneca Indians, who professed friendship and invited them to their villages, fifteen or twenty miles distant. As this was on their way to the upper waters of the Ohio, and as they hoped to find guides at the villages to conduct them, they accepted the invitation. Daulier with most of the men remained to guard the canoes while la Salle with Gallonnet and eight other frenchmen accompanied by a troop of indians set out on the morning of the twelfth and reached the principal village before evening it stood on a hill in the midst of a clearing nearly two leagues in compass a rude stockade surrounded it and as the visitors drew near they saw a band of old men seated on the grass waiting to receive them one of these veterans so feeble with age that he could hardly stand made them an harangue in which he declared that the senecas were their brothers and invited them to enter the village they did so surrounded by a crowd of savages and presently found themselves in the midst of a disorderly cluster of large but filthy abodes of bark about a hundred and fifty in number the most capacious of which was assigned to their use here they made their quarters and were soon overwhelmed by seneca hospitality children brought them pumpkins and berries from the woods and boy messengers came to summon them to endless feasts where they were regaled with the flesh of dogs and with boiled maize seasoned with oil pressed from nuts and the seed of sunflowers la salle had flattered himself that he knew enough iroquois to hold communication with the senecas but he failed completely in the attempt The priests had a dutch interpreter who spoke iroquois fluently but knew so little french and was withal so obstinate that he proved useless so that it was necessary to employ a man in the service of the jesuit fremen whose mission was at this village what the party needed was a guide to conduct them to the ohio and soon after their arrival a party of warriors appeared with a young prisoner belonging to one of the tribes of that region gallinay wanted to beg or buy him from his captors but the senecas had other intentions i saw writes the priest the most miserable spectacle i ever beheld in my life it was the prisoner tied to a stake and tortured for six hours with diabolical ingenuity while the crowd danced and yelled with delight and the chiefs and elders sat in a row smoking their pipes and watching the contortions of the victim with an air of serene enjoyment the body was at last cut up and eaten and in the evening the whole population occupied themselves in scaring away the angry ghost by beating with sticks against the bark sides of the lodges la salle and his companions began to fear for their own safety some of their hosts wished to kill them in revenge for the chief murdered near montreal and as these and others were at times in a frenzy of drunkenness the position of the french became critical they suspected that means had been used to prejudice the senecas against them not only could they get no guides but they were told that if they went to the ohio the tribes of those parts would infallibly kill them their dutch interpreter became disheartened and unmanageable and after staying a month at the village the hope of getting farther on their way seemed less than ever their plan it was clear must be changed and an indian from otanawattowa a kind of Iroquois colony at the head of Lake Ontario, offered to guide them to his village, and show them a better way to the Ohio. They left the Senecas, coasted the south shore of the lake, passed the mouth of the Niagara, where they heard the distant roar of the cataract, and on the 24th of September reached Otanawatawa, which was a few miles north of the present town of Hamilton the inhabitants proved friendly and la salle received the welcome present of a shawnee prisoner who told them that the ohio could be reached in six weeks and that he would guide them to it delighted at this good fortune they were about to set out when they heard to their astonishment of the arrival of two other frenchmen at a neighboring village one of the strangers was destined to hold a conspicuous place in the history of western discovery this was louis joliet a young man of about the age of la salle like him he had studied for the priesthood but the world in the wilderness had conquered his early inclinations and changed him to an active and adventurous fur trader talon had sent him to discover and explore the copper mines of lake superior he had failed in the attempt and now was returning His Indian guide, afraid of passing the Niagara portage, lest he should meet enemies, had led him from Lake Erie, by way of Grand River, towards the head of Lake Ontario, and thus it was that he met La Salle and the Sulpicians. This meeting caused a change of plan. Joliet showed the priests a map which he had made of such parts of the upper lakes as he had visited, and gave them a copy of it. Telling them at the same time of the Potawatomies and other tribes of that region in grievous need of spiritual succor, the result was a determination on their part to follow the route which he suggested, notwithstanding the remonstrances of La Salle, who had in vain reminded them that the Jesuits had preoccupied the field and would regard them as intruders. They resolved that the Potawatomies should no longer sit in darkness while, as for the Mississippi, it could be reached, as they conceived, with less risk by this northern route than by that of the south. La Salle was of a different mind. His goal was the Ohio and not the northern lakes. A few days before, while hunting, he had been attacked by a fever, sarcastically ascribed by Gallinay to his having seen three large rattlesnakes crawling up a rock he now told his two colleagues that he was in no condition to go forward, and should be forced to part with them. The staple of La Salle's character, as his life will attest, was an invincible determination of purpose, which set at naught all risks and all sufferings. He had cast himself with all his resources into this enterprise, and while his faculties remained, he was not a man to recoil from it. On the other hand, The masculine fibre of which he was made did not always withhold him from the practice of the arts of address, and the use of what Dallier de Casson styles belles paroles. He respected the priesthood, with the exception, it seems, of the Jesuits, and he was under obligations to the Sulpicians of Montreal. Hence there can be no doubt that he used his illness as a pretext for escaping from their company, without ungraciousness, and following his own path in his own way on the last day of september the priests made an altar supported by the paddles of the canoes laid on forked sticks dolier said mass la salle and his followers received the sacrament as did also those of his late colleagues and thus they parted the Sulpicians and their party descending the grand river towards lake erie while La Salle, as they supposed, began his return to Montreal. What course he actually took, we shall soon inquire, and meanwhile, for a few moments, we will follow the priests. When they reached Lake Erie, they saw it tossing like an angry ocean. They had no mind to tempt the dangerous and unknown navigation, and encamped for the winter in the forest near the peninsula called the Long Point here they gathered a good store of chestnuts hickory nuts plums and grapes and built themselves a log cabin with a recess at the end for an altar they passed the winter unmolested shooting game in abundance and saying mass three times a week early in spring they planted a large cross attached to it the arms of france and took formal possession of the country in the name of louis fourteen this done they resumed their voyage and after many troubles landed one evening in a state of exhaustion on or near point peely toward the western extremity of lake erie a storm rose as they lay asleep and swept off a great part of their baggage which in their fatigue they had left at the edge of the water their altar service was lost with the rest a misfortune they ascribed to the jealousy and malice of the devil debarred henceforth from saying mass they resolved to return to montreal and leave the potawatomies uninstructed they presently entered the strait by which lake huron joins lake erie and landing near where detroit now stands found a large stone somewhat suggestive of the human figure which the indians had bedaubed with paint and which they worshipped as a manito in view of their late misfortune This device of the arch-enemy excited their utmost resentment. After the loss of our altar service, writes Galanay, and the hunger we had suffered, there was not a man of us who was not filled with hatred against this false deity. I devoted one of my axes to breaking him in pieces, and then, having fastened our canoes side by side, we carried the largest piece to the middle of the river and threw it, with all the rest, into the water, that he might never be heard of again. God rewarded us immediately for this good action, for we killed a deer and a bear that same day. This is the first recorded passage of white men through the Strait of Detroit, though Joliet had no doubt passed this way on his return from the Upper Lakes. The two missionaries took this course with the intention of proceeding to the Sault Ste. Marie, and there joining the Ottawa's and other tribes of that region, in their yearly descent to Montreal they issued upon lake huron followed its eastern shores till they reached the georgian bay near the head of which the jesuits had established their great mission of the hurons destroyed twenty years before by the iroquois and ignoring or slighting the labors of the rival missionaries held their way northward along the rocky archipelago that edged those lonely coasts they passed the manitoulins and ascending the strait by which lake superior discharges its waters arrived on the twenty-fifth of may at st marie de sous here they found the two jesuits d'ablon and marquette in a square fort of cedar pickets built by their men within the past year and enclosing a chapel and a house near by they had cleared a large tract of land and sown it with wheat indian corn peas and other crops the newcomers were graciously received and invited to vespers in the chapel but they very soon found La Salle's prediction made good, and saw that the Jesuit fathers wanted no help from Saint-Sulpice. Gallinay, on his part, takes occasion to remark that though the Jesuits had baptized a few Indians at the Sioux, not one of them was a good enough Christian to receive the Eucharist, and he intimates that the case, by their own showing, was still worse at their mission at Saint-Esprit. The two Sulpicians did not care to prolong their stay, and three days after their arrival they left the Sioux, not as they expected with the Indians, but with a French guide, furnished by the Jesuits. Ascending French River to Lake Nipissing, they crossed to the waters of the Ottawa, and descended to Montreal, which they reached on the 18th of June. They had made no discoveries and no converts, but Galenay, after his arrival, made the earliest map of the upper lakes known to exist. We return now to La Salle, only to find ourselves involved in mist and obscurity. What did he do after he left the two priests? Unfortunately, a definite answer is not possible, and the next two years of his life remain in some measure an enigma. That he was busied in active exploration, and that he made important discoveries, is certain but the extent and character of these discoveries remain wrapped in doubt. He is known to have kept journals and made maps, and these were in existence and in possession of his niece, Madeleine Cavalier, then an advanced age, as late as the year 1756, beyond which time the most diligent inquiry has failed to trace them. Abbé Fayon affirms that some of La Salle's men, refusing to follow him, returned to la chenaye and that the place then received its name in derision of the young adventurer's dream of a westward passage to china as for himself the only distinct record of his movements is that contained in a paper entitled histoire de monsieur de la salle it is an account of his explorations and of the state of parties in canada previous to the year sixteen seventy eight taken from the lips of la salle himself by a person whose name does not appear but who declares that he had ten or twelve conversations with him at paris whither he had come with a petition to the court the writer himself had never been in america and was ignorant of its geography hence blunders on his part might reasonably be expected his statements however are in some measure intelligible and the following is the substance of them After leaving the priests, Salle went on to Onondaga, where we are left to infer that he succeeded better in getting a guide than he had before done among the Senecas. Thence he made his way to a point six or seven leagues distant from Lake Erie, where he reached a branch of the Ohio, and, descending it, followed the river as far as the rapids at Louisville, or as has been maintained beyond its confluence with the Mississippi his men now refused to go farther and abandoned him escaping to the english and the dutch whereupon he retraced his steps alone this must have been the winter of sixteen sixty nine to seventy or in the following spring unless there is an error of date in the statement of nicholas Perrot, the famous voyageur who says that he met him in the summer of sixteen seventy hunting on the ottawa with a party of iroquois but how was La Salle employed in the following year? The same memoir has its solution to the problem. By this it appears that the indefatigable explorer embarked on Lake Erie, ascended the Detroit to Lake Huron, coasted the unknown shores of Michigan, passed the Straits of Michilimackinac, and, leaving Green Bay behind him, entered what is described as an incomparable larger bay, but which was evidently the southern portion of Lake Michigan. Thence he crossed to a river flowing westward, evidently the Illinois, and followed it until it was joined by another river, flowing from the northwest to the southeast. By this the Mississippi only can be meant, and he is reported to have said that he descended it to the 36th degree of latitude, where he stopped, assured that it discharged itself not into the Gulf of California, but into the Gulf of Mexico and resolved to follow it thither at a future day when better provided with men and supplies the first of these statements that relating to the ohio confused vague and in great part incorrect as it certainly is is nevertheless well sustained as regards one essential point la salle himself in a memorial addressed to count frontenac in sixteen seventy seven affirms that he discovered the ohio and descended it as far as to a fall which obstructed it again his rival louis ziolier whose testimony on this point cannot be suspected made two maps of the region of the mississippi and the great lakes the ohio is laid down on both of them with an inscription to the effect that it had been explored by la salle that he discovered the ohio may then be regarded as established that he descended it to the mississippi He himself does not pretend, nor is there reason to believe that he did so. With regard to his alleged voyage down the Illinois, the case is different. Here he is reported to have made a statement which admits but one interpretation, that of the discovery by him of the Mississippi prior to its discovery by Joliet and Marquette. This statement is attributed to a man not prone to vaunt his own exploits, who never proclaimed them in print and whose testimony even in his own case must therefore have weight but it comes to us through the medium of a person strongly biassed in favor of la salle and against marquette and the jesuits seven years had passed since the alleged discovery and la salle had not before laid claim to it although it was a matter of notoriety that during five years it had been claimed by joliet and that his claim was generally admitted the correspondence of the governor and the intendant is silent as to la salle's having penetrated to the mississippi though the attempt was made under the auspices of the latter as his own letters declare while both had the discovery of the great river earnestly at heart the governor frontenac la salle's ardent supporter and ally believed in sixteen seventy two as his letters show that the mississippi flowed into the gulf of california and two years later he announces to the minister colbert its discovery by jollier after la salle's death his brother his nephew and his niece addressed a memorial to the king petitioning for certain grants in consideration of the discovery of their relative which they specify at some length but they do not pretend that he reached the mississippi before his expeditions of sixteen seventy nine to sixteen eighty two this silence is the more significant as it is this very niece who had possession of the papers in which la salle recounts the journeys of which the issues are in question had they led him to the mississippi it is reasonably certain that she would have made it known in her memorial la salle discovered the ohio and in all probability the illinois also but that he discovered the mississippi has not been proved nor in the light of the evidence we have is it likely. End of chapter two. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. dot com